Good morning and welcome to uh, the 11 o'clock service at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Would you stand please and join me in the call to worship? Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. The peace that Christ gives to us guides us in the decisions we make. For it is to this peace that God has called us together into one body. With his own body, he broke down the walls of separation. By his death on the cross, Christ destroyed our divisions. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you together this morning. Father, I pray that our worship would be acceptable in your in your eyes, and pleasing to you. We ask this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Before you're seated, I invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Morning, how are you? Morning. Morning, Hannah. Nice to see you. Hey, Mark. Good to see you. Hello? It's working. You can hear us? Can you hear Sophia? Can you yell? (laughs) Hi, my name is Sophia Templeton. I help with the junior church program that meets during the 820 service on Sunday mornings. This year, along with the guidelines from each of the From each of Pastor West's sermons, we are discovering ways in which God's character can be displayed through us. During the next couple of weeks, we we are working on a project that will help us understand ways in which we can show God's love to other people. Last year, we saved our nickels and dimes and raised money to buy school supplies for the refuge children at Jericho Road. This year, our project is still with Jericho Road. I will let the junior church members tell you more. Refugees pack up just what they need when they have to leave. Refugees are special people because they come from far away. When they, get, when they come to Buffalo, they don't have the things they need to keep them warm. But we have lots of coats, even extras that we can give away. We will be collecting all sorts of winter gear, both refugee children and adults over the next two weeks you can bring in your extra coats to give away to people in buffalo it gets really cold land (laughs) we invite you to join us in donating the following items Oh. And scarves. And scarves. <laughs> and hats. Boots and blankets. All right, so what we're doing is there's a program called Bundle. Do you want to say boots? Mm-hmm. Okay, say boots. Okay, so there is, um, it's a program called Bundle Up Buffalo, and in Bundle Up Buffalo, they work with the Jericho Road program, and it has to do with a group of refugees that are up in Buffalo. Our children have been studying about this, and as Sophia said, what we do is we're teaching um, God's character traits throughout the year in junior church, and we look for ways in which the children can really learn to be able to display God's character in a very physical sense. On October 11th, our children with their families will be taking the coats that we collect, both for adults, children, babies, blankets, whatever you have, and we're going to be taking them with their families up to deliver them to the organization that's going to be giving them out, and our children get to be a part of that, of actually giving out the coats and blankets. Um, From my understanding, last year, 
at the doors open at 8 a.m., and by 10 a.m., um, they had to start turning people away. So if you have any extra coats, blankets, hats, adult children alike, bring them. We're going to have a bin out in the back of the church here. We're going to have one up in the youth room. Uh, youth room. Helena Odin is also allowing us to put one in the campus store for anyone who's going to be around on campus. Um, and so um, we're super excited about this. It will be collecting them for the next two Sundays, so September, <laughs> September 28th and October 5th. So if you can bring them in, and then we'll be heading up October 11th. Um, so we're super excited about that. If you find good deals at the end of the year, collect them for next year as well. Thank you. I do want to encourage you to bring whatever coats and winter gear that you have for the refugees in Buffalo. It's a great help to them. Give them a second. Also, take note of a number of things in your bulletin. Let me just mention that our small groups have started. And some are on Sunday night, other, a few others during the week. But their follow-up discussion from our sermon, sermons on Sunday. And it's an opportunity to just talk through some things that... You know, as we move along, I think the discussion will be helpful. So I uh, want to make you aware of that. I also want to say how happy we are to have the college choir with us this morning. And we're excited about their ministry. We appreciate them coming today and look forward to more of their music as we worship this morning.
to our shepherd who supplies our needs, we acknowledge our need for him. Join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Almighty and merciful God, we know that when we offend another, we offend you. We are aware that we have often allowed the shadow of hate to cloud our souls, hiding the light from our unseeking eyes. We have said unpleasant and hurtful things to our brothers and sisters when they have failed to live up to our expectations. Grant that we might find that spark of love that ever burns within us, the love that you have shown to us even when we failed you. Fan the embers of that love until it roars again in flames of grace, peace, and reconciliation. Forgive us our sins and help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us into new life through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of all. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Would you stand, please, for the doxology and uh, taking of our tithes and offerings. Father, you've met our needs in such an ample and complete way. We thank you for that. And as we bring a portion to give back to you, Lord, would you use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
God, who's done so much for us, calls us to come and to pray, offer ourselves to Him, share the burdens of our hearts. If you'd like to use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, so often when we hear you calling us, we resist, we argue, we drag our feet because we forget that you are a God of love and mercy. And your desire for us is to fill us with the fullness of your spirit and to be agents and channels in this world of your loving grace. Lord, we come today and affirm what the choir's just sung. Here I am. Here we are. Send us. Lord, as we contemplate who you are and your calling in our lives, we are reminded of all of the ways in which you work in this world so miraculously and that you love to do more than we could even dream or imagine. And so today we come with the burdens of our hearts. We come about burdens that are close to our hearts. We pray for all who are grieving and ask that you would comfort them. We pray for everyone connected to us who's struggling with concerns of health. We think of Bruce Brenneman and Alton Shea, Matt Bissett, Dick Gould. We pray for Isla Shea and Bev Rett, for Edna Howard and Linda Roth and Micah Christensen, and for Bill Roski. Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar and others for whom we feel burdened today. Father, we pray for this world in which we live and the struggles. We ask for your grace to continue to be upon the people who are dealing with the effects of the Ebola virus. We pray that you will bring antidotes and healing and grace even in the midst of grief and pain and loss. We pray for our brothers and sisters who face great opposition 
We think particularly today of the Christians in Iraq who are under attack from ISIS. Families are in great danger. Some have already experienced indescribable loss. We pray that you will give them courage and strength in the midst of great difficulty. And we ask, Father, that they will know of our prayers. They will know of our support and our love. And we pray that we will see Christ in them. And that their courage may inspire us. Father, we pray that you will continue to help us as we reach out, not just to the world a long ways away, but the world near us. Continue to help us to feel a sense of of compassion for people in need. And to recognize that your sending is sometimes a long ways away and sometimes very close by. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for always answering in the way that you know is best. Give us grace to trust you as we offer our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ. Remembering the model for prayer that he teaches all of his disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The New Testament reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord.
Be seated. I'm going to ask you to stick your necks out a little bit this morning. Just take a little survey. Um, How many of you have ever had a negative experience with the church? Wow. Okay, well, it's time to go home, I guess. (laughs) Not going to be able to fix that. Uh, No. I'm not surprised at all. Um, Because... The reality is, uh, the church is made up of human beings. And human beings aren't perfect. And that means where you and I are present, imperfection. And if we are the church, we are going to fall way short of what God designs for us. We ought to expect it. We do set standards pretty high. We we try to uh, think, we think that the church should be better in it some ways it should, and we'll talk about that, but we set ourselves up when we think the church is going to be perfect. We all have negative experiences with the church at one time or another. The problem with that is that there are, there, while there are many things that happen that, that shape our idea of God, our experiences, traumas, how we're trained, people we hang around, but One of the most profound ways in which our image of God is shaped is by the church. And when we have negative experiences with the church, it tends to create negative ideas and feelings about God. After all, these are God's people, and if God's people act like that, what must God be like? Right? And we have positive experiences with the church, so we tend to forget those a little more. It's the negative ones we tend to hang on to. But the other problem is that the church, despite its flaws and and problems, is, is is intended to be God's presence, God's people, agents of God on this earth. And we sometimes wrestle with that. You know, we understand the problems, and and the problems create the the mindset that it seems like it's relatively new, but it's been going on for a long time, where people will say something like, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And by that, tend to mean, well, you know, I I think about God, have a relationship with God, but I don't want to have anything to do with God's people. And when we read the scriptures, we find that you really can't separate that. I mean, I've gone through my period of life where I basically thought, I don't need the church. Churches, you know, some people need that. I don't need that. But the older I get, the more I journey in my faith, I realize outside of extenuating circumstances, it is impossible for us to be the people of God that he has created us to be without the connection of the church. And so we read here in Acts chapter 2, the first picture of the church. Remembering the church is not a human idea, it's God's idea. He started it. It's his fault. And we find this, this, the group of believers 
coming together. And in this picture, in this image that Luke gives us in the second chapter of Acts, we find the, the people realizing how much they need each other and being connected to each other. Because ultimately, our witness to the rest of the world outside the church is rooted in the church. Jesus says, you will, they'll know you're my disciples if you love each other. If you're connected to each other, if you're important to each other, that's how people will know you're my disciples. Despite the, the times you fail and the difficulties and the struggles, people will believe that you are mine if you're connected to each other, if you love each other. And the question is, what does that look like to love each other? I think there is a sense in which loving each other is rooted in a spirit of unity with each other. It says here in Acts chapter 2, they had everything in common. They were together with each other. There was the spirit of unity among them. Now, do you think they all thought the same way? Do you think they all agreed about everything? Oh, my goodness. Just take the 12 apostles. On the one hand, you have Matthew, whose whole occupation, his life, is about helping the Romans take money from the Jews. He's a tax collector. And then the other end of it, you have disciples that are zealots, and the whole existence, their whole mindset about living is to get rid of the Romans, to crush them, to destroy the Romans, so that the, the Jews can become their own people again. And here you have these different opinions in this little group of 12 people. And you know that has to multiply as you get 120, 500 people, or however many are a part of this day, 3,000 even. And yet, they're united, they're connected. But it's not just even what we see here. It's, it's the word of, of the Apostle Paul. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, don't let divisions come among you. Among you. Be united with each other. And Jesus himself prays some of the last words before he goes to the cross. Father, make them one as we are one. In other words, make the unity of the church look like the Trinity. The unity of the Trinity. We think together. We act together. We're focused together. Now we're talking about miracles, right? And you see, it's not just enough to say, well, we sort of get along. Sometimes people, you know, will say, well, we'll just agree to disagree. And there's a place for that. But as someone was saying to me recently, I don't think that's enough in the church. In the church, it ought to be not just, well, we agree to disagree, which is code for, I'm right, you're wrong, and someday you'll figure that out. They said, you know, somehow we have to come to the place of saying, it's not enough to agree to disagree. We have to, even in our disagreements, love each other, care for each other, have a mindset, a spirit that says, not I'm right, you're wrong, and you'll figure that out. But you know what? We're both, we both have, are speaking some truth. And in fact, there are things about the way you see this that, quite frankly, are probably a better perspective than the way I see it. And I want to learn from you. And there are things about the way I see it that are a better perspective than the way you do. And you, I want you to learn from me. But we're connected to each other. And as opposed to, well, hey, we just going to have to agree to disagree. And there's this wall between us. Instead, even in our disagreements, there is a sense of wanting to move closer and closer to each other because we care about each other and we love each other. And the things that divide us are less important than the spirit of unity 
and love that Christ calls us to live. I guarantee you in the coming weeks, as we talk, think about some of the sermons that we're going to be looking at, I guarantee you there are going to be widely range, right, wide range of opinions about them. Probably everyone's going to walk out being angry with me because we got all these different mindsets about it. It's a perfect laboratory in which we can learn what it means to be in unity even when we don't agree. Because we love each other. We care for each other. And something about that mindset says to the rest of the world, they're different. The question that, that triggered this sermon, and it came about in a variety of ways, but the question came down to, with all the problems in the church, why would anyone want to be a part of that? It's because we are different. We think differently. We have different goals. Different, we, we, we want to, to connect to each other differently. When there are disagreements, we don't just turn and run. We don't consider each other enemies like you, we see so often in our world around us. Rather, we keep saying, how can we love each other that much more even if we are in disagreement? Something looks different. And that unity will mean we will have a spirit of sacrifice and servanthood. If we always have to be right, you can't be a servant. You can't, it's impossible. You cannot have the spirit of a servant and always believe you have to be right. You, choose, you can choose to win or you can choose to serve and love, but you, they're mutually exclusive. If your goal is to win, you'll never have the mindset to serve. But if our goal is to serve, sometimes we win. Actually, we win because we're being like Christ. And there is a spirit of servanthood and a spirit of sacrifice. And you see again here in, this, in Acts chapter 2, where it says that not only were they together and had things in common, some people actually sold things because they had an abundance and shared with people who had need. They sacrificed. They gave up something precious and important because someone else needed it. I'm fascinated that the Apostle Paul writes to the church at uh, the Colossians. He says, I am rejoicing that I get to suffer for your sake. I celebrate that. I don't like suffering for my own sake much less someone else's sake. And here is Paul sitting in probably a a prison, chains around his wrists and his ankles. It stinks. And he says, I am so excited to be able to suffer so that you don't have to. Wow. That's the church being the church. A willingness to give up what we may want to hold on to because other people need it. If you haven't read Timothy Keller's book, The Prodigal God, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's a terrific book about the whole parable of the prodigal son. And he makes a couple of observations in there that I had never thought of before. He said, when the father divides the inheritance between the younger son and the older son, he probably, in essence, is giving them all of his wealth. And so the younger son goes off and he spends his. 
And when he comes back and the father welcomes him into the home, not as a servant who's going to earn his keep, but as a son, who do you think is going to pay for that younger brother's food and clothing and shelter? The elder brother. He's the one that has the money left. No wonder he's so upset. We'd be upset. That's not fair. Hey, you had your shot. You blew it. Too bad. You come work around and earn your keep. No wonder he doesn't, he doesn't want to come into the house and celebrate the party. Because he's paying the bill. And then he says, Keller says, what I, think, what I think Jesus would have wanted out of that elder brother was even before his brother came home to go to his father and say, you know, my brother is acting like a fool. And we haven't heard from him for a while. I suspect his life is in shambles. I'm going to go looking, look for him. And when I find him, if he has wasted his inheritance, which I expect he probably has, I'm going to bring him back and I'll use what I have to take care of him. That's the church. That's us being the church. And it, it reveals the heart of God who continually says to his people, you care for those who are most vulnerable. In fact, you could almost say that God defines success among his people by how well we care for the neediest among us. Throughout the Old Testament, how often does God say to, his, to the Israelites, you take care of your responsibility or the aliens and the strangers, the widows, the orphans. You take care of them. Don't let them, don't let them go. Don't let them live in need. You care for them. Leviticus 23 is one of the places where God gives a direct command to the Israelites. And he says, when you harvest your field, don't you dare reap to the, to the edge. You leave the edges for people who don't have a field to harvest. And you be generous with them. Because remember, I've been generous with you. And it's fascinating to me that he gives this command about how they are to harvest their crops. And he ends by saying, don't forget, I'm the Lord your God. I'll take care of you. And I'm watching you. Jesus takes that even to another level in Matthew 25 where he says in the end times and people are divided between the sheep and the goats and those who are, who are in good graces with God and those who are not. What's the difference? What you did to the least of these, you did to me. Something about the church caring for the most vulnerable among us as, as what defines success in the church What defines the heart of the church, the passion of the church, is a completely different mindset than what we see in the world around us. And it's our calling. Because it's the heart of God. It's the heart of Jesus. I think among us, one of the most vulnerable groups, the neediest groups were represented by this group of children standing up in front of us this morning. I mean, who more in our church is more vulnerable than children and youth? I mean, right now, their minds and their hearts are, are an open book to be shaped. 
And as the church, we can either shape them in a positive way or a negative way. Wouldn't it be awesome if because of our influence, they, be, they grew up and they were sitting in a service and someone said, have you ever had a negative experience with the church? And they would say, no, I never have. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because we have cared for them, we've sacrificed for them, we've been servants for them. Wouldn't it be terrific if we got to the beginning of the school year or the academic year and we're starting up our children's and youth programs again and we're saying, all right, Monday night, 7 o'clock, anybody who wants to work with children or youth, we're going to meet downstairs in the room below us here. And when you got here at 6.45, there were so many people, they couldn't all fit in the room. Because everyone said, I want to give, I want to serve, I want to help people, these young ones who are vulnerable. Because that's what we do in the church. It's the most natural thing in the world. And they are not the only people among us who are vulnerable. But they are an example of that. And something about the mindset of the church, loving one another, caring for each other, sacrificing for each other, sends a message to the rest of the world that this group of people is different. Why are we different Because we are living out the life of Christ among each other and outside of the world. And as someone has said, the the fact that we become a church and people who love each other and care for each other and have that spirit doesn't prepare us to be a witness to the world. That very spirit is our witness to the world. Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples Not if you love each other and then go out, but if you love each other. And our love for each other leads us to want to go out and leads us to want to share that with other people. And it creates a spirit in us so that when we go out to others who don't know Christ, we go with a spirit of love and unity and service and sacrifice just like we do with each other. We don't have to change. We just extend the borders. At some point, we have, as someone said to me recently, given up our authority to be Christ's people in the world. We've given it away. And it's not an authority to lord it over people or to judge people. It's an authority that gives us freedom to serve and to love and to extend grace. Just as God does for us. comes down to being focused on Christ. And all we're really saying is that we want to be corporately people who look like Jesus. Because we're so focused on Jesus, it comes out of us. The spirit of Christ comes out of us because the spirit of Christ, the focus of our fellowship is Christ. That's what he's calling us to be, to do. We come to this table, and this table reminds us that the church is not for people, not for the spiritually elite. It's not for people who've figured it all out, and then we come to God. This is a table that reminds us we are all undeserving. This is about people who are just 
common people like you and me who have, who have released our lives to Christ. And he's changed us individually and corporately. And everything we do bears witness to the love and the grace of Christ who has generously filled us with love and grace. Maybe we will have gotten to the point where we've become who God wants us to be. When we ask, give me some questions about what you'd like to hear a sermon about. And one of the questions is not, why would anyone want to be a part of the church? But rather, the question would be, why would anyone not want to be a part of the church? Heavenly Father, you have blessed us more than we could dream or imagine. We come today acknowledging our need for you, acknowledging your grace to us, and asking that you would continue to work in us as your people. Father, as we prepare to come to this table, pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup of which we are about to eat and drink. And as we do, may we know the presence of Christ in us individually and corporately. As we make our way to the front and we see all of our diversity, we will give thanks because we are united and connected in you, our Lord and Savior. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. This means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If walking to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we do have a tray of of bread and of cups, and we are happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers here if that is uh, important for you. And just let me know as you come to the front, and I will serve you those. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Perhaps this is the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God, 
and with a desire in your heart to love God and to love each other. And come and receive these gifts from our gracious, merciful, loving Heavenly Father. communion together, we're going to to sing as the body of Christ as we are led through the music. That all enmity may cease. The walls that stood between us, suspicion or pride, long tradition, fear or envy, by Christ have been destroyed. Reconciled to God and others, we are saved and justified. Through Christ and through the Spirit, we are by God's Word, fellow citizens and members of the household of the Lord. No longer strangers, but friends in blessed accord. Let all who follow Jesus, those called by Christ's name, live his life toward every person, known or unknown, just the same. Let us follow Christ's example as his promises we claim. Nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of our infinite God. And it's not that we first loved him, but that he first chose to love us, even as in sin and darkness we trust. 
What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he who has lavished his love upon us has called us to love like he does. So let us consider how we love one another, how we encourage each other toward love and good deeds. For he who has promised our Father is faithful. By these all men will know we love our Savior if we So shout to the highest heavens and sing with all the angels in thanks and praise for all he has done. As our Father's chosen people, may we leave within his promise that through his holy presence we're one. Serving each other in word and in deed, we know we shall find that fellowship sweet when he opened our hearts outside of ourselves to do what he called us to do. So let us consider how we love one another, how we encourage each other toward love and good deeds for he who has promised our father is faithful by this all men will know we love our savior if we love each other too Jesus has called us to love like he does, to take up our cross, to carry the lost. No greater love can never be found than that we should lay down our lives, that we could lay down our lives, that we would other toward love and good deeds for he who has promised our father is faithful by these all men will know we love our savior if we love each other too
Please stand and join me in the closing hymn, We Are Called to Be God's People, printed as an insert in your bulletin. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.